Our scripture reading for this morning is taken from the first 12 verses of the second chapter of Matthew's Gospel. Hear God's word. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard that he, this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. This is the word of God. Well, I just wanted to take a moment and express some personal thanks today uh, to you as a congregation. Uh, last week, we made an announcement about our giving trees that have been stationed around the church, and we had uh, 200 ornaments on the giving trees, and these gifts went to foster care families and, and families at Penny's Place, and so there were 200 out there, and you all responded so well that all of them disappeared. All 200 have been taken care of this week, and I know some of you are returning this week, but that, uh, I was talking to some of our staff about that, and they said this, that's the first time this has ever happened at this church, where all of them were taken and all of them were taken care of. I mean, end up, the staff usually end up taking care of the leftovers, but this year you did a great job. I think I'm going to applaud you guys for doing that. Um, <clears throat> I also say that because we're, today's theme, Advent theme in our series is give more. You've already given a lot. You've already been generous. And so I want you to know that I do think that this is a very generous congregation. But as we're talking about giving more, we're going to wrestle with some of our own things around our own ability to be generous and to give more. And how, how does that work? And so we're going to be looking at this theme today for Advent. Now, I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about this idea, is it possible, and I think the answer is yes, but I'm going to ask the question anyway, is it possible to have plenty to, ha to have what you need and still not be generous? Is it possible that you have been provided for and I have been provided for 
and still not give anything away or not be generous or not get, let go of anything? Now, I think the answer is, is yes, because we see this all the time in our, in our culture, in our society, in our, nature, in our own human nature. I was actually watching a show uh, that was shot here recent, uh, not recently, but shot here locally called Alone. There's a show on the Discovery Channel called Alone where they take survivalists and they put them out in, on Vancouver Island. You all have been, some of you have been to Vancouver Island. And they put them in these rem remote locations on Vancouver Island. They have to live alone. They have to live off the land and provide for themselves and take care of themselves and use survival skills. And they see who can stay out there the longest. Some people make it 60, 70 days before they're either everybody else is gone or they call in and say, take me out of here, right, for different reasons. Uh, the particular season I was watching, there was a, a person, survivalist there, and he was uh, surviving. He was doing pretty well. He was catching a lot of fish, and he was smoking the fish and storing the fish. And he had, so he had stored up a little bit of fish for himself for the future to survive. He wanted to go a long time. And so he was thinking about this and doing this. And every periodically, even though they're out there alone, periodically they send in a, a medical team to do a medical check to check on their health to see whether or not they should stay in, whether it's safe for them to stay in the, in the contest or not. In this particular season, this particular gentleman, they went to check on him and they checked him and they, they said to him, your body is actually going into starvation. Your, your organs are beginning to shut down because you're not getting enough to eat. And so they had to medically remove him from the, the contest because he was not getting enough to eat, because he was starving himself, even though he had food. And see, this is something that you run into in survival situations, is this mindset starts to set in that I won't have enough, so I'm not going to even take care of myself, <laughs> because I've got to go the long haul. And so when you and I have a mindset, even though that we have, when we have plenty, it's still possible to have a mindset to think, I don't have enough. I won't have enough. I better save. I better hold on to, right? That's exactly what he was doing. And he was dying in the process. His body was shutting down. I would suggest to you this morning that when we don't have faith to be generous, we shut down and die spiritually that our souls begin to shrink and shrivel up. We've got a whole movie about this, actually. Do you know what it's called? Scrooge, <laughs> right? I mean, that's what it is, right? I mean, that's that Christmas movie, because what are we doing? We're becoming miserly. We're holding on to, and we've got all this. He, my, the Scrooge had all this wealth, but he wasn't even spending. Notice in the, in the movie, he wasn't spending it on himself, and he wasn't giving it away to others. He was, he was thinking, he was thinking, I'll never have enough. But is that the God that you worship? Is that the God that we serve that says we'll never have enough? <laughs> the one who sent everything in Jesus Christ to be with us? So we're actually skipping ahead in the Christmas gospel this morning. We're skipping ahead to the, the Magi coming to visit Jesus after his birth. Usually we hear sermons on this after Christmas which is usually also the day that the lead pastor takes off from preaching. So I very rarely get to preach on this text. <laughs> so I, but I thought with this theme of give more, I think the Magi actually show us what that looks like. Because 
if you look at the Magi, they're, they're interesting people. Now, we have to first think about a couple, char- a couple people in this event. First of all, there's Herod, there's the Roman government, and then there's the Magi. And what we don't often see in the text and understand about the text is that Herod was not a, was, was not a, not a good guy. He, he was pretty sinister. He was pretty evil. Any threat against his king, he was the king of the Jews. He was the current king of the Jews. But he was there under appointment by the Roman governor and the occupying Roman government. And so he was there kind of as a puppet king. Yet he was also evil, sinister. He would kill people, kill family members. He had family members murdered. Because any threat to his power, any threat to his position, he, he would annihilate, he would get rid of. And that's actually one of the darker parts of this story that leads to after the Magi leave is the, is the innocence in Bethlehem because of Herod's fear and his threats, right? He fears this threat, this one born king of the Jews. Wait a second, I am the king. I am in charge. So to hear that there might be another king, to hear that this other one might be born was a great threat to Herod. Now the Magi are coming from a foreign land, the east, we know. And we don't know how many there were. We just know that these, this group of magi come, and they come, and they start asking. They follow the star. But notice it's not an exact uh, navigation system because they come to Jerusalem. They just know they're in the general area. So they start asking questions. It's interesting that Herod's the one that goes and gets them the answer. He wants to know now, too. He didn't know. He hadn't studied the scriptures like they had. He hadn't figured out what was going on in his own land. And so he goes to the religious leaders in Jerusalem and asks them, and they say, in Bethlehem, the, the Messiah is to be born in Bethlehem. And so he, provide, he, get, he does the research for the Magi and provides them the answer to their, his research. And all Jerusalem, did you notice that in the text? That all Jerusalem was concerned, not just Herod. Why would all Jerusalem be concerned? Well, we have to also understand a little bit of history between the Roman occupation and Persia or the Parthians from which these people, the Magi came. See, these, they represented the people, another political power that Rome couldn't defeat. In fact, in 40 to 37 BC, they had come and occupied Jerusalem at one point and the Romans had to evacuate along with Herod. So Herod had to, had to go back and go into hiding in Rome. So Herod remembers that invasion earlier in his life. So these magi coming from this foreign power, this undefeated power, has shown up in Jerusalem. All Jerusalem's a little concerned about this. Are they here to spy on us? Are they here to attack us again? What's this talk of a newborn king? Are they trying to make some diplomatic relations with this newborn king to overtake Jerusalem again? What's going on? So you can start to see there's some political angst going on in the diplomatic relations between the Magi and Herod and Rome. There's this going on behind the scenes, but still the main threat is Jesus, this newborn king. So Herod sends him on his way, and it's interesting because Herod's probably surprised to find out that the baby was born in Bethlehem because the Herodium, where the Herod's palace, sat on a hill And from that hill, out Herod's window, you can see Bethlehem. Right under his sight, within his line of sight, the baby, the new king, 
has been born, and he didn't even know it. I wonder what Herod was doing that night when the angels sang to the shepherds. What was he up to when Jesus was born? What was going on in his palace while the newborn king was coming into the world and angels were rejoicing and shepherds were going out and spreading the good news around them? Where was Herod? The Magi got it. From far away, they saw the star and they came in search for Jesus. They came in search for the newborn king because they had studied the scriptures, the Jewish scriptures. They had studied the stars. They were a priestly elite that advised kings. They knew what was going on even though Herod hadn't a clue what was going on. Do you ever see that around you today? Do you ever feel like you're the only one who gets it, <laughs> what the meaning of Christmas is, the reason that we're here, while the rest of the world kind of goes on like nothing's happening? Have you ever had that feeling? Now you know how the Magi feel. Now you know how a lot of people felt that first Christmas because there were people going about their business like nothing really was going on, that there was no Jesus, there was no newborn king in their lives. All this was happening right under their noses. And it happens to us too, and it happens in our world today. So finally they find, they go to Bethlehem, and I get this image that the Magi go to Bethlehem and they're still asking questions. Hey, have you seen a newborn child here recently? <laughs> well, we've had 15 this week. What do you mean? I don't know how they responded. Do they go to the maternity ward? No. So they go asking around and they find the house where Jesus is. And we don't know how old Jesus is at this point. We don't know if he's six months old, a year old, two years old. We just know that it's somewhere under two. And so if you can imagine, when they get to the house, I actually don't like any translation of any Bible on this verse. So you get my translation this morning. I couldn't find a good translation. I got one that came close, but here's, here's my translation. They rejoiced with great joy exceedingly. You can't repeat any more than that, can you? You can't bring any more joy to that sentence, but that's literally what it says, that they rejoiced with great joy exceedingly. They had come to the end of a long search. They had traveled far. They had asked around. They had been searching. They probably at times thought they were never going to find this child. Maybe there were times they wanted to give up, but now they found him. And they rejoice greatly with exceedingly joy. They're exceedingly joyous. This is like, I'm going to take you back to 2014. This is like the Seattle Seahawks winning the Super Bowl. <laughs> right? Do you remember that? I had to redeem myself. I showed another picture last year that wasn't this good. So. But you see what I'm saying? That we had, there's this idea that there's rejoicing. There's celebrating. They're not walking up. Oh, we found it, guys. Good job. They're they're rejoicing. Or maybe it's like your kids, or remember when you were a kid and you got up on Christmas morning and all the presents were around the tree, and what was your reaction? Yes, right? There's rejoicing. There's exceeding joy. There, there's jubilation out of the arrival at the house. The best version I could actually find of this that was the message version that says they could hardly contain themselves. Do you ever have moments like that where you can hardly contain yourself? 
And how do you respond when you can hardly, because everybody's different. Not all of us are extroverted. Not all of us are going to jump up and down, you know. We all respond differently when we experience joy. But how do you respond when you experience joy? How do you respond when you can't contain yourself? And do you respond that way to Jesus? Or is it something different? (laughs) Is there joy? I want you to know something about their joy. The Magi are experiencing joy, and Jesus hasn't grown up, hasn't taught anything, hasn't been crucified, hasn't been resurrected, hasn't gone and ascended and left the Holy Spirit to the church. They are rejoicing simply at the presence of Jesus. God came into the world. That's all they're celebrating. None of the other stuff that you and I might celebrate or give thanks for or gratitude for, but that's what they're celebrating, that Jesus has arrived. (laughs) Good news for everybody, including people from a foreign land and a foreign power. They get it. They rejoice. They could hardly contain themselves. So their response is this. I get this image of the Magi being entering into the home of Jesus, and it says that there is Jesus and Mary. I kind of get this image that there's Mary doing something in the house and Jesus is clinging to her leg, kind of holding on to her leg. You know how, you know, like Felicity did this morning when I came in, you know? Wait a second, you know, what's going on? Right, but see, that's, I think, I get this image of Jesus clinging to the leg of Mary as the Magi come in and what are they doing? They're coming in, are they coming in? You know, they're excited. But notice how they respond. They worship him, which meant that what the Magi would have done when they entered into the house, when they saw Jesus clinging to the leg of Mary, my interpretation, not biblical, but they go to Jesus at the feet of Jesus and they bow down and they touch his feet or the hem of his robe and they are worshiping a little child. That's how they worshiped. They knelt, they bowed, they gave homage and they were joyfully doing it. Can you get this image in, your, in our heads that here are these religious elites, these priestly Parthians, these magi, these wise men, and they're bowing at the feet of a small child. They understand who it is that's there. While the rest of the world doesn't have a clue What we do this Christmas season is we bow at the feet of Jesus when the rest of the world doesn't have a clue. And that's okay. God is rejoicing with us. And the other thing they did, though, is what did they do? They went into their treasure chests and they pulled out their treasure chests their best gifts. Gold, frankincense, Myrrh, the best stuff. I don't know why somebody's texting me in the middle of the sermon, but, <laughs> but they give the best gifts. <laughs> Jesus, take my cell phone, right? All right, good. <laughs> so they give the best gifts to Jesus. Maybe there's an example right there. <laughs> they take this, their best gifts and they give their best gifts. They don't give 
not their best. They give their best because here's what Jesus grew up. Remember, this little child on Mary's leg grew up, and he taught this. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where were the Magi's hearts with Jesus? What did they do with their treasure? They gave the best treasures they had to the one who had their heart. That's how generosity works. That's what generosity does. You want to talk about giving more? (laughs) We give to what has our hearts. I remember this really crazy decision I made as a 20, how old was I? 22-year-old? To marry a woman, my wife. Today's, she stayed with me all this time. And I remember distinctly going to buy the engagement ring. I was in seminary. I had been working um, minimum wage jobs. I had saved up money, and it wasn't a lot of money because I was going to school. I had just graduated from college, going to seminary. I didn't have a, a ton of money in the bank. But I wanted, this, I wanted to marry this woman. And I was excited to marry this woman, and I really loved this woman, and she had my heart. So I wanted to buy her an engagement ring, but I didn't have a lot of money. I, I didn't have a ton of money to go buy a big engagement ring, and, and I felt kind of bad about that. But I also knew the heart of my wife. She didn't need a lot of bling. She just would be happy to, for us to be together, right? So the, the, the relationship was more important than the gift. But either way, I I went to buy something. I wanted to express, regardless of whether she needed it or wanted it, I wanted to do it, right? So I took half my life savings at that time, which wasn't a lot, and I bought that wedding ring, and I proposed to her, and she said, yes, good news. But you know, still inside of me, I wanted to do more. I wanted to give her more. Why did I want to give her more? What was going on inside of me that made me want to give more and do more for her? And I always had this in me, so as life went on, and as, you know, I went from starting out pastor to church planner, I still didn't have a lot of money, but again, I went into the savings account, and I bought some more bling for the ring for our 10th anniversary. And then I presented it to her on our 10th anniversary, because I wanted to do more, right? I wanted to give her more. I, I thought she... I wanted to just do this for her, right? Why? why? Why was that happening? That's part of giving more. See, when the Magi go and they give their best and they worship, it's because Jesus has their heart. My wife had my heart. And because my wife had my heart, I wanted to do more for her. You see that connection? When Jesus has our heart, when Jesus is our heart, when Jesus is we make room, we sing that hymn, when we make room for Jesus in our hearts, let every heart prepare him room, we'll want to give more. We'll want to do more because Jesus has our hearts. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So to give more is to be like the Magi. If we're to give more, if we're to be generous, then we're going to have to ask ourselves some questions that the Magi revealed to us. The first question is this, if I'm going to give more, do I honor and worship Jesus? Because 
whoever has my heart, that's who I honor. That's who I worship. That, that's where my energy goes. That's where my time goes. That's where my resources go because that's the one who has my heart. Really, giving really comes down to that question. Do I honor and worship Jesus? Does Jesus have my heart? Not in a romantic sense. Like, guys, can I just talk to you men for a minute? Men, I know this stuff. I'm not talking about being in love with Jesus. I'm talking about, this is not a romantic love. This is, does Jesus have your heart? Are you committed to Jesus? Are you dedicated, devoted to this man, Jesus Christ, and following him as other men did? That's what we're talking about. Does Jesus have your heart? You see, in Matthew, Jesus said this. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. And when a man found it, he hid it again. And notice this, then in his what? Joy. He went out and sold all he had and bought that field. The Magi found Jesus and they gave their best. They sold out for Jesus. What Jesus is saying is that when we find the kingdom, Jesus represents the kingdom of God. When we find that kingdom, we will sell out for it. We will give everything to it. So to give more is to do everything to honor and worship Jesus like the Magi. The other question I think we have to wrestle with is when we say give more is, like the Magi, do I give my best to Jesus? Do I give my best? Do I give my best treasures? Or do I give my leftovers? You know, all the Magi's gifts were accepted that night or that day, except for one Magi. Did you know about the Magi got turned away? The Far Side cartoon, you haven't seen the Far Side cartoon? It says, unbeknownst to most theologians, there was a fourth wise man who was turned away for bringing fruitcake. <laughs> so, actually, we don't know how many wise men, magi there were, but, you know, he brought the fruitcake. If you didn't notice this between the last two sermons, I don't like fruitcake. So, my, <laughs> I have a bias against it. Sorry. So, those fruitcake lovers, forgive me. Um, nothing wrong with fruitcake. All right. We digress. Somebody asked me a great question. Uh, one of our, our leaders asked me this question. Why does Giving Tuesday come after Black Friday? Why does Giving Tuesday come after Black Friday? I think that's a great question. See, isn't that because we give our leftovers? We go spend everything, we go Black Friday, and then we go Cyber Monday, and then, if we got anything left over, we'll give it away to charity. The Magi reverse that whole pattern. The Magi say, we're going to give to Jesus our very best first. And then we're not going to even worry about the other stuff, right? We're going to give our best, right? I think about that, that, that we give our best, right? And I think about this too. You know, when we give to other people, when we give to those in need, who are we giving to? When we give something to someone in need, who are we giving it to? If you remember what Jesus taught about that, right? Jesus said, whenever you've done something for the least of these, you've done it unto me. So every time we give something to someone, not our leftovers, but the good stuff, <laughs> we're actually blessing Jesus. We're giving our best to Jesus. I think 
Uh, I got a note from uh, Rick Reynolds at Operation Nightwatch that uh, we gave 300 brand new pairs of socks to the homeless. We didn't give our leftover socks or our gently used socks. We went out and bought new socks to help those in need, right? And I think there's more we could do. But what is it about us that wants to give our leftovers rather than our best when it comes to giving and generosity? Because it goes back to our heart, right? Who's got your heart? If you have compassion for those that are in need, you're going to do more for them. If you have love for Jesus, you'll do more. I'll do more. I'll give more. But if other things have our hearts, then we'll give to that. We'll give time and energy and money to those things that have our hearts and get our worship. Because whatever we give to is really what we might be worshiping. So let me ask this question. Just evaluate for a minute. Who's got your heart? Like, think about it this way. Where does your time and your energy and your money go? And where does most of it go? I would suggest to you that wherever most of that time, energy, and money goes, that's where your heart is, right? Now, it might be with your family. That's a good thing. It might be buying gifts for your spouse. That's a good thing, right? These are not bad things. My question, though, to wrestle with is, where is Jesus in the lineup? Where is Jesus in comparison to all those things? Is Jesus getting our leftovers? Or is Jesus getting our best? Are we like the magi who give Jesus the best that we have? Or is Jesus somewhere else down the list? That's for you to decide to figure out, to wrestle with. I'm not telling you what to do. I'm just saying, evaluate it. Look at it. Think about it. One of the best Christmas memories I have was uh, several years ago, we were walk, working with young men in a, in a foster care facility. And these are the foster care, these are teenagers living in a, an institution, a foster care institution. And they're in this institution because no family would take them. These were the, these were the troubled ones. And I could tell you story after story of the things that went on in their lives, but yet they were a part of this institution and so I had some, some, some dads in our church come to me and said, hey, we want to do, do something for them for Christmas. And I said, great, it sounds like a great idea. And, he sa- and the dad said, there was a couple, few dads involved, the dad said, we want to buy gifts for these young men the way we would buy gifts for our own kids. Not our leftovers. Not some, you know, socks and underwear. By the way, that's, you know, I remember getting socks and underwear growing up. I appreciate that, mom and dad, right? (laughs) But we don't want to, we want to give gifts to them the way that we would give gifts to our own children. I said, great, what do you you have in mind? So these guys went shopping. They bought the latest gaming system, right? Now, I'm not, turn off the uh, critiquers right now. Oh, I wouldn't buy games for those. those you know, don't, don't go there. Let the dads do their thing, right? 
but this is what they would have done for their own kids. So they went and bought the latest gaming, the PlayStation 4, Xbox, whatever it was, right? Bought them video games, music, brand new clothes, candy, big screen TV for their lounge, like high end. They went all out for these guys. They got all, bought all the stuff because this is what they would have done for their kids. I'm telling you, this is exactly what they would have done for their kids. And they wrapped all that stuff up, and then they, set, came, to me, they came back to me and they said, Pastor, we want you to give this to the, to the boys. And I looked at them and I said, nope, that ain't going to happen. Pardon my bad English. But I said to them, that's not what's going to happen. You're going to do this. This was your idea. I want you to experience the joy of what you're doing. And I'll never forget, I still have this image in my brain of these guys standing up. We had this big Christmas party with all the young men there in the room, and these dads got up in their Santa hats, and they're carrying in big boxes wrapped up, the big screen TV and the gaming station and all the gifts. And they had individual gifts for all the boys. I think there was about 15 or 16 of them. And they had all this laid out, and they gave away these gifts, and it was the joy. I mean, I still picture the joy on these dads' faces as they did this. And you know how those young men reacted? You know how those young men reacted? Oh, it wasn't this. It wasn't, oh, thank you very much, sir. They were jumping around. They were excited. You cannot, they couldn't contain themselves. They were jumping up and down. They were running across the room. Give them some sugar, too. It got even worse. And they're just, they're just the whole room is buzzing because these guys are excited. Excited. Nobody, I mean nobody, had ever done this to them for them before. This is the first time anybody had shown up and gifted them this way. And there was joy in the generosity of the givers, and there was joy in the receivers. And I thought of the Magi, who just rejoiced greatly with exceeding joy. I mean, these guys, this is better than a Super Bowl. This is better. This is better. I forget every Super Bowl I ever watched, but I'll never forget that moment. Let's pray together.